Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome to the 73rd episode of the most, most Artistic Nuggets podcast according to 70 plus year old ladies from Pančevo, Serbia. That group might or might not include my mom. Welcome to the Serbian Corner. My name is Miroslav Cuk and we had a packed week of Nuggets basketball behind us. The good news is that the five-game road trip is now over and the bad news is that the good guys only have one home game before hitting the road again. The first game this week was at Cleveland. Cavs were missing Donovan Mitchell and a few other less important guys. And the Nuggets were slight favorites going into the game. But then the Cavs were scoring at will and Jokic got his first personal foul early. Then the second one at the two-minute mark of the first. Then the third one in the second. Then a rapid fire of two offensive fouls called by our good friend Tony Brothers early in the third. The Cavs' lead was already 15 or 16 points and the game was over. I'll say just one thing about Nicola's foul trouble here. It was obvious that we have too many MVP-level players and too few referee superstars, so Tony Brothers made sure we'll talk about him next time he's delegated for the Nuggets game. 24 hours later, the Nuggets were already in Detroit, visiting a team on an 11-game losing streak. The game didn't start great. Jokic got an early technical in the first quarter for complaining on a no-call. He was visibly frustrated and concentrating on the wrong things, so much so that even the Pistons' color commentator immediately recognized what's going to happen. Of course, near the end of the second quarter, Jokic got a pretty soft second technical and was ejected from the game. Luckily, it was the Pistons that were playing against the Jokic-less and Jamal-less Nuggets, so the good guys found a way to win behind uh, good games from Reggie Jackson, KCP, and Christian Brown. Two nights later, they went to Orlando. I wonder if they stayed at the Grand Destino, the Grand Floridian, or the Yacht Club. Gonna have to ask the Altitude crew about that. Magic Team played really well. Denver was up small for a big chunk of the game, but couldn't defend anything down the stretch. Cole Anthony, Franz Wagner, Franz Wagner and Paolo Banquero were attacking MPJ, Jokic and Reggie. And it's really hard to win in the clutch with zero defense to close the game. Fourth loss in six games. Even though it was the best Jokic game so far this season, according to GameScore, an efficient 30, 13, 12, 3 and 2, the truth is the Nuggets lost Nikola's final stint and you won't win many games like that. Finally, the big game, the final group stage game of the in-season tournament in Houston last night. It was a much more important game to me than to most of you. Not because of the losing streak, it was because I really care about the NBA Cup. I wanted that thing. Jokic got the last old MVP trophy. He got the first new MVP trophy. And I just wanted the first NBA Cup too. And now Effin LeBron is going to get it. Okay, sorry, I, I got heated up. Nikola had 38, 19, 8 and 3, but was inefficient for his standards. KCP showed up, but Aaron Gordon and Reggie Jackson combined for 1 of 19 from the floor. And you're not winning a lot of games when your two starters shoot that abysmal. They needed a 27-point win to get into the elimination round. Instead, they lost by 19, so they were actually 46 points short 
of the uh, NBA Cup, you know, final round berth. Okay, even I can stand listening to myself longer than that. Let me introduce my guest for today. So the Nuggets have lost five of last seven, but are still ten and six. That's why this is the exact moment we need an outside perspective on our team. And since we've seen 16-ish games already, that's 20% of the season, if you believe me, I thought it would be a good idea to check up on the co-host of my favorite national NBA podcast that doesn't take themselves too seriously, called The Hardwood Knox. He's also my favorite source of Twitter NBA jokes, but most importantly, a swell guy, who is a very competent and hardworking NBA analyst and a writer at Bleacher Report. It's Daniel Dan Favale. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Miroslav. And thank you so much as well for the super kind, way too kind intro. <laughs> so how, how are you doing these days? I'm good. You know I was sick for a minute. I had a respiratory thing going on. I feel a lot better, as you could tell in my voice. So I'm ready to get into Western Conference tiers and these these suddenly suddenly frustrating Denver Nuggets. Yeah, so before we begin with actual tears, I'm known for being overprotective of Nikola Jokic when he battles the refs, and we really haven't seen that for a while before those Cleveland and Detroit games. So please give me your outsider perspective on the situation. Is it as serious as Luca's tantrums, or maybe Luca being a bit calmer this season is actually being evened out by Nikola meltdowns here and there? Yeah, it might be that because Luca has been a lot quieter with the referees. And so maybe in the absence of Luca, anyone who's like involved in those little kerfuffles and disagreements and impassioned moments of complaints, it just stands out more and more frequently because we don't have the, the Luca highlighter, you know, Luca and LeBron used to get us through with that. And I even feel like LeBron hasn't been falling behind plays as much doing that. So I will say Jokic is, I don't want to say a tough, player to referee but i think when you look at a lot of the stuff he does inside and how physical he can play i could understand why fans would get frustrated just because you watch zion as a pelicans fan i think even as an impartial observer and i'm just like there are dudes just like running into him and he's just built so big that you're not going to get a call and it's just a little bit different with Jokic because he's not built like the tank that zion is but he's he's so huge and he does stuff on the inside that sometimes it looks like it doesn't rattle him because a lot of his, he's like a lot of his game can look discombobulated by design is the way I would call it. Cause he's always under control, but those like flip shots and the, the second chance looks, he gets around the basket. Like those don't always look pretty or conventional. And I'm just wondering if it makes those tougher to, to referee, but he is one of the players where if you are a fan of a team, uh, you can certainly call out his complaining, but when you watch him, and it does feel like, okay, you know, over the most recent stretch, he's averaging like seven free throws a game. And it's like, oh, it feels like he should be at 11 or 12. I could totally understand that sentiment. Yeah, and actually, I think he needs to work on his acting because it's not like he never flops while while shooting the ball. <laughs> he does, and it, it looks pretty bad, and he never gets a whistle on that. And when he is actually trying to, to hit it, he just hit it, and then he doesn't get an end one. Because, you know, it went too easily to, to be awarded uh, furthermore, I guess. He's got to start so, shooting a bunch of leaners and runners where he's like throwing his shoulder or his back body or leaning into the player and then firing up after. He needs to play like a he should just start playing like Jalen Brunson. Like he's just one of the guys who's able to do that from because Nicole Jokic likes to operate from the in between too, And Brunson's one of the whizzes at just like. Once defenders leave their feet, he's not even trying to score. He's trying to like barrel into them and get a shot up that way. So maybe Jokic needs to start doing that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I, I know he works a lot of, on his craft, so that, that might be actually the next step for him. I mean, we need to find a way for him to, to get better than what he's showing now, right? So, uh, as I said, it's a fifth of the season in the books, and I believe it, it is time to react to some trends and hopefully... Some of our reactions might not be a total and complete, you know, early overreactions. I wanted to scan the Western Conference and put the teams into certain tiers. So these will be my tiers. I wanted to make that uh, clear from the jump. So please don't aggregate them as Dan's late November hot please takes. Please do. <laughs> I want that would be the best aggregation ever. <laughs> so let me let me pull out my my uh, presentation here so the first tier i have here 
is called uh, should be in the Eastern Conference, considering how bad they are tier. <laughs> so this tier consists of, of three teams, and it's the Spurs, the Blazers, and the Jazz. Feel free to call me out if you feel I'm too harsh on any of the mentioned teams, or if I should have added somebody else to this group. The one thing I'll say is I feel like you were uh, too unkind to the Eastern Conference because they might just be deeper and better when you look at the than when you look at the bottom of the West this year. I would agree that these three teams belong in this tier. Uh, none of them are trying to win, and I think Jazz fans kind of got a little bit of a wake up call with that because of how last season unfolded. The Spurs should be better than they are, man. They're just they're not good, and it's I growing pains. But I think it might be time to. They need like a floor general in there, kind of like how the Jazz had Mike Conley to to stabilize things. And the Blazers, they belong here. I'm assuming the Grizzlies will be in your next tier up. I know they're going to get Jaw back at some point, even Smart, but they're dealing with so many injuries that if you told me that the Blazers or the Jazz finished with a better record than the Grizzlies this season, I might not be shocked. Yeah, and you actually guessed it because my next tier is called, well, I don't know what to think of them until they get at least some of their guys back tier. And of course, it's the it's yeah, the by Christmas. themselves. Yeah, that's, that's a fucking great. I love that. <laughs> uh, 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 th- there's no other team like that in the league right now. Is, it, is the hole they're in right now just too deep for them to even contend for the, for the playing place? Uh, I guess not the play-in because, I mean, you just went through the three teams that you just went through, the Spurs, the Blazers, and the Jazz. They're not. None of those teams are going to make the play-in. And so now it's, okay, so there's one, like there's only two other teams that they kind of need to fall off. And I think you can look at some of these starts and we'll obviously get into them as you go to your tiers. And it's, all right, the Pelicans are a house of cards because they're health, but they're getting a lot better. Um, The Rockets, you know, they've had a really nice start to the season, but they have yet to win on the road. So is there something going on there? Could Alperin Shangun fade because he's never had this high usage for an entire year. And to answer, to actually answer your question, when you start going through it and you're looking for teams that could pull back, you might be able to identify one, but the Grizzlies need to leapfrog at least two. And so I do believe that it is too late for them this season because John, ja, I mean, John Morant's we're only halfway through John Morant's suspension. Essentially they're dealing with other injuries. And even when John ja comes back, that's not going to clear up, their problems in the front court where it's their wing rotation is still reliant on, okay, Marcus smart is going to play and guard up. He, his offense when he's healthy should get better with jaw just because he'll be shouldering a smaller load, but they're like, all right, we have Santi Aldama and we have David Roddy and uh, we have Zaire Williams. There's just not a lot of like the, the three, four spot is a real issue for them next to Jaron Jackson jr. And they have some answers where it's when Xavier Tillman is healthy. He could be fine. They have Biombo on the roster now, uh, but you can't. I know people have said the West isn't as good as they thought, and I honestly think it's because there are probably eleven teams in the West right now that could be super competitive and dangerous in the right context. And if you're the Grizzlies, and you're you know you're three and twelve through the first fifteen, like if you get to, I mean, at this rate, if they're seven and eighteen by the time Jaw comes back, they'd probably that's super lucky to get there given how they've played. How are you supposed to come back from that? So maybe they could get in the play-in, but their their season to me. Is certainly over from a larger perspective, where it's no, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna do anything real. It's just it's not in the cards for them this season. They, and part of that is look, they waited too long to play their best trade chips. I know Keith Parrish from Fast Break Breakfast has gone through this, but when you look at what they gave up to like just basically end up with Marcus Smart and like some of these youngsters that haven't panned out, it's not it's not a great look. Yeah, yeah and. It would be helpful for them if they would have a bunch of games against, you know, Washington and Detroit, you know. But I, I guess they can play some some games against San Antonio in the future to to boost up their wins. I just wanted to come back to the to the first tier uh, about one team, and that's the San Antonio Spurs, who are coming to Denver tomorrow. They're on a, I believe, eleven losing eleven games losing streak right now. Yes. And Everybody in Denver is nervous because <laughs> we don't want to be the team that will snap that losing streak. <laughs> yeah. How does it how does it look to you that the experiment with Jeremy Sohan at the point guard and and his game next to Victor W? So I love Jeremy Sohan, but the experiment is not going well. 
And it's if you're going to play him in the role that you want to play him, then you need someone else on the floor who can play off him, but also organize the offense too. And that's why I, him and Trey Jones really haven't played together a bunch this season because San Antonio doesn't have a lot of floor generals. And so could you get them more minutes together? Do you need to kind of dust off Devontae Graham more often than you have been? Invariably, though, when you do that, now you're looking at the five guys you're, you want to play the most. And it's, okay, Wemby, not going anywhere from the lineup. Devin Vassell, they're pretty invested in Jeremy Sohan. And it's, well, are these minutes coming? If you're throwing another guard on there, are you pulling Keldon Johnson? Are you pulling Zach Collins? Those are two guys who are really important. And so I don't know. I don't subscribe to the idea that the Spurs are doing more damage to Wemby or even Jeremy Sohan long-term. Um, there might be something to, if this isn't the role that Jeremy Sohan is going to play eventually, then maybe you should just get him out of it because what's the point? Like you've gotten all the information you need. Uh, but if you're the Nuggets, you're playing at home after playing pretty poorly on the road for a while. This is a game that you should win pretty handedly because the offense of the Spurs is just not, it can have its moments, but it's a, it does not look cohesive or dangerous a lot of the time. And part of that is in addition to exploring what Jeremy Sohan can do as sort of this point guard, you're just letting Wemby go out there. They're not necessarily using him in these specific spots. There are trends to what he's doing, but it's kind of, he's floating all over the place, getting the ball in all these different locations. They've given him the freedom to take a lot of fadeaways or step backs. And it's like, you know, we go through this with Michael Porter Jr. a little bit where it's, you have the size just to get your shot off over anyone. Like you don't need to create the separation on fades or step backs. Like just throw that bad boy up there. Uh, but he's a rookie. Wemby is. So there's going to be growing pains there. I don't think, I ultimately don't think, and I counted myself as someone who thought it would pan out, Jeremy Sohan at point guard. I'm, I know we're only X sub 20 games of the season. I'm out on it. It's, you would need to surround him with, again, at least I said one other playmaker who can work off the ball and probably more spacing, high volume spacing than you have around him right now. Yeah, it's, it's just right now, Wemby looks like an inefficient version of Kevin Durant with like five inches to spare. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what's gonna happen to him uh, in the next couple of years. Okay, let's take one short break, and then we'll turn. We'll return with some better teams, hopefully. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, we are back. Back to our presentation. The next tier is called WTF? Now, there's only one team in this tier, and it's the Houston Rockets. So they actually might be, you know, next to the Grizzlies, but they might actually be above, like, the four teams I have in the next tier. I just have no idea what to think about them. When they signed the two guys with the worst true shooting percentage on volume in the league to huge contracts... I was like, WTF, what is what is going on? But now they're like, they're a 500 team now, right? now. So which WTF is, is a stronger one? The, the one that uh, at least I thought that they're just losing the compass or this one where we're actually seeing some really, really good good play from, from Ime Yudoka's team. That's a tough one. I think they're probably what we've seen from them. They've gotten a little lucky or a lot lucky on opponent three point shooting. So I'd expect the pullback there to come. I, I, I don't know what this team may feel like a, the quintessential, like maybe 38 
and 44, 40 and 42, 41 and 41, 42 and 40 team, that's where it feels like they should end up. I don't think they're going to end up in the Western Conference playoff picture. That would really surprise me. Um, at the same time, they have the ability to get better. Jalen Green has been up and down a lot of the year. Fred Van Fleet has not been shooting well inside the arc, even by by his standards. I don't know how Amen Thompson's return. I don't. I don't know if he. I don't think he's been back yet. I haven't caught the past two Rockets games, but uh, I don't think he's like when he comes back. Does that help or hurt you? Just because it's a rookie that is going to be subjected to a learning curve. But I do think when you watch them, there is a real consistency to yeah. It'd be nice if they ran more on offense, but Albert Shangun is really good. Like he can drive that entire offense and the minutes they've decided, Hey, we're tethering Fred Van Fleet and Alper and Shangun together, their minutes and the stuff Fred Van Fleet does off the dribble, even when he's not hitting his shots, defenses react. And so it creates these opportunities for everyone else to move or to get open shots off of his kicks. Alper and Shangun has fantastic vision. He has a lot of sort of the, you know, the physical FU game once he does get to the interior and he's been more aggressive with that Jabari Smith jr. He's not scoring a ton, but like, his efficiency, I think he's shooting like 38% or whatever on threes. He's been good defensively. Tari Eason, Jay Sean Tate, those are all solid defenders. Dylan Brooks, solid defender. Fred Van Fleet, solid defender. And so I can see the defense actually maybe outplaying the offense as we move forward. Um, I think the big questions for them are, does Dylan Brooks' shot selection kind of sustain? Because he's been very kept in check. And then what sort of happens when rubber meets the road of, well, if it involves we need to play more veterans than younger guys. And I'm looking at Ahmed Thompson specifically here. Cam Whitmore's already not playing. It's, are we going to prioritize Ahmed Thompson's development? Or are we going to prioritize winning games? Because that could throw off a lot of your bench rotation, maybe not even your your starting lineup. And so that is what I'm watching. But I do think, look, I smashed the under for this team. I think they were over under at like 31 or 32, and I hit the under without hesitation. That is something I would expect them to clear now. And I think that's a positive development because it felt for so long in large part because of the personnel they had. They were treating Kevin Porter Jr. like a building block, apparently, behind the scenes, which is just outrageously stupid. So the fact that they kind of have like a direction, not just with their head coach, but the players that are on the floor, and you have guys who have a track record of being good defenders, when you look at Fred Van Fleet, when you look at Dylan Brooks, when you look at Tari Eason, there's a base here, and I think that's exciting if you're a Rockets fan. Yeah, Two things about, about them. Dylan Brooks... Looks like he's still the FIBA World Cup version of himself, like shooting really, really high percentage clips. And Alper and Shangun, I think they, they said that he grew like two inches uh, since last season. And if that's true, that's huge. That's, that's, that's a really, really big thing because it, if you want to be good in the West, you need to be able to, to play against Nikola Jokic. And, you know, if you're a 6'10 guy, Comparing to a seven feet guy, that's a big difference. For instance, you you have Bama Debayo, who is a guy that has nothing on Jokic because he's six nine, and it's 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 really hard for for a guy that's not tall enough to to guard Nicolas. So yeah, I'm I'm actually quite optimistic, and I'm quite jealous of some of the young guys Houston has, comparing to uh, to the to the guys Denver has on its bench. So yeah. It, it, it's going to be interesting, at least uh, this season for them. Yeah, they're. Um, I think they're going to be like just one of those teams that, uh, even if they don't end up very good, like they're going to be just frisky, and they're always going to be looking to win because they owe that top four protected pick to OKC this year. Man, I, I listen to your shows uh, way too often because my next year is called everybody. Uh, actually, not that. Uh, uh, Put a pinpoint on that. Uh, Frisky is is actually in the next tier. So this tier is called everybody thinks they're good, but they kind of suck tier. And it's the fourth. You had the tier. Rockets below this tier. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I I think. Whoa, this is a spicy <laughs> tier. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So we have the L.A. Clippers. We have the Golden State Warriors. We have the New Orleans Pack. New. New Orleans Pelicans, and we have the Phoenix Suns. Now I know this is this is a mishmash of different teams. They all look pretty bad right now, and I don't expect them to to stay at the same tier until mm. the end of this season. But first, let's let's see who would you put uh, the Rockets above 
from this group. Well, yeah, the title of the tier just threw me. I think the Rockets are probably in the right place, but to say that these teams might suck just feels, you know, and honestly, what's ironic, I mean, I guess the Clippers have a case to be in that thing. It's the Warriors. I look at the team as of this four that I'd be most concerned about because the starting lineup when it was at full strength before the Draymond suspension, before the Steph injury, that quintet was getting annihilated. And that was one of the best five man units in basketball last year. Andrew Wiggins has not looked the same. Clay, even on, on his good offensive nights, and he's not getting good offensive nights every single game. He's just not there on defense anymore. And I don't think when you look at kind of the reserves, even though they've they've done well in the minutes without Steph Curry when CB3 is running the show, you look at Moses Moody, you look at Jonathan Kaminga, and it's like, have they done enough to say, well, these guys need to close games over a Clay or an Andrew Wiggins if those two don't have it going? It's questionable, but it's also a legitimate conversation. The Warriors seem to be searching right now. Part of it's availability, but like no one really expected Brandon Pajemski to have this role in year one, and he's had a fairly steady role lately. So they might be the team I'm most concerned about, in part because my expectations for the Clippers are just so low at this point, and they have picked up a few wins in their past four games, one of which came against the Rockets, but the other two came against the Spurs. And then you go up and you get slaughtered by the Pelicans. So I'm just... But with the Suns, look, Brett, let's Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant have not played a single second of action together. They're going to be fine. I think, look, we've even seen it. They're on a, a long winning streak right now. And ever since Devin Booker has come back, a lot of the problems that were haunting them where it's, okay, well, who's going to be your second best player every night or your best ball handler? That's no longer an issue because Devin Booker's there. The attention that Kevin Durant is seeing in fourth quarters in half court sets, it's, yeah, he's still prime time, but it's not as much as many bodies because Devin Booker is there. He is, I I still don't think people appreciate how good he is as like a point guard or a floor general, whatever you want to title it. This is just one of the, like forget shooting guard, point guard. This is just one of the five best guards in the league right now. Like there's Luca, there's Steph, there's Shea. And I think those are the only three players that you can, unless I'm just forgetting someone like really ludicrous to say those guys are definitely better as guards than, uh, than excuse me, uh, um, oh my God, Devin Booker. And so like, that's huge for them. They're going to be fine. I have questions about the defense, which has started to, to slip. But even when Bradley Beal comes back, you might, offense just might be so good and you'll be so much, not less reliant, but you don't need to live and die by as many, okay, well, what is Nas Little or Keita Bates-Diop or Josh Okogie doing on offense? you can have those guys in and not need as much of a lift offensively from them. I think they're going to be really good if they stay healthy. And the team I might be highest on in this tier right now is the Pelicans because they're playing like gangbusters. Zion, I know a lot of people have said this. There might just be something to, if he's going to miss all that time like he did last season, his ramp up just might be a little bit um, a little bit longer than most. He's such a unique physical specimen. He's starting to look more like himself. The minutes with him and Ingram, they were getting killed at one point. They're starting to win those. Um, they started to unlock different units and combinations with the way they could play. We know what was happening with the CG McCollum, Herb Jones, plus like, you know, some bench players, Jordan Hawkins, and maybe a Dyson Daniels with Jonas Valanciunas playing, or maybe you have a different body in there. When they're fully healthy, when Trey Murphy comes back, when CJ's back, they're going to be really dangerous at both ends of the floor. And you know, with all of these teams, I think health is probably the biggest question mark for them where it's like, you look at, I think the Warriors have the most, the Warriors and the Clippers have the most like top end. Oh, is there a question mark of how they're playing? Looking at Wiggins and Thompson or Russell Westbrook has been so bad. And then the fit in LA, they need to figure out, you know, they're getting killed when Russ and Harden play together and they've gotten rid of a, a lot of those, a lot of those minutes. And, but is that sustainable over the long term? They're playing PJ Tucker at the four for stretches. Can you get enough spacing and, and offensive usage so that what he does on offense, which is nothing a lot of the times at this point, doesn't hurt you as much? So there's a lot of, you know, even with the Suns, you're looking at the back end of their rotation where it's okay, well, who's the, let's say they're fully healthy. Who are their fourth, fifth, sixth best players on any given night? The Pelicans just have more going for them if they're healthy, I think, than all of these teams, except for like the Suns probably have the strongest case after them. So I actually don't think any of these teams actually suck. Um, if you're looking at potentially their quintessential high ceiling 
incredibly low floor teams because of the health question marks that they're dealing with. And I think that's what all of them are sort of facing. Although the Warriors, they look pretty bad even when they have anybody at points. So that's maybe it's time to um, throw the, I, I think it's right that they're all kind of in a tier because we have questions about, well, we haven't even seen their full groups together for a lot of the time yet. When you're looking at Phoenix and LA and, and new Orleans specifically. So these are teams that are definitely tough to wrap heads around. I will say I'm very optimistic on the outlooks of new Orleans and Phoenix though. Those are teams that I would be like Phoenix. I'm still just ready to say, even if they don't have a top four seed, like I, I still think they and the nuggets are the two best teams in the West and new Orleans and Minnesota have Minnesota might belong in that, like that tier now, but like new Orleans has the potential to enter that top four tier because that, that is their ceiling for sure. Okay. And one thing about the Pelicans is that they're missing CJ McCollum. And thanks to that, they're huge. They're really big because CJ is a is a kind of a small guy and a guy you can attack, you know, uh, 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 with your half court offense. And uh, I actually think that they might be better without him at the at okay. this moment because you know they're just they're just a, a menace to play against. Even though I mean, you know CJ is probably their third best player. You you are sort of touching on what has become a discussion nationally, and I think even in New Orleans circles, is should CJ McCollum come off the bench when he comes back because of how well the starting five has been faring right now. Um, and it would be something that's interesting to look at. They they have a lot of different things they could do when everyone's available. Just because like Trey Murphy and CJ are out, but they have Jose Alvarado, Larry Nance Jr. came back, BI came back. So they just have a lot of different bodies and I still question whether they have enough shooting even with Jordan Hawkins and once Matt Ryan gets healthy at the same time when Zion is Zion he's just shown that spacing doesn't matter it's no I'll just go through four or three dudes and get to the rim anyway and we've seen that over the past couple games I think and so their ceilings a lot higher than I think their initial and look they had me you know I'm a Pelicans guy but they had me like ready to deboard the bandwagon at one point this year and I was clinging to it so if it looks like that will pay off, uh, they're they're probably the most fascinating team to me of these four. That's that's for sure. Okay, it is time for us to take another short break, and then we'll get into some teams I'm even more impressed. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we are back, and as I promised to you. Now we get the frisky in. So the surprisingly frisky tier, and it is three teams. It's the Los Angeles Lakers, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Sacramento Kings. So um, uh, I'm a hater, and I thought the Lakers and the Mavs would be much worse than what they are. I'm also a famous De'Aaron Fox doubter, and I thought the Thunder uh, should still be at least a year away at this stage. Oh, I forgot to put the Thunder on this on this graphic as well. So that's the fourth team actually here. So tell me, are you surprised that the Lakers have been pretty good so far and the Mavs as well? Uh, the Mavs definitely were better than I expected. They have the same issues that we all expected, but the emergence of Derek Lively basically from day one has been a big deal for them. Luca is right front and center in the MVP conversation. They're winning both, which I think has been critical, both their solo star minutes when it's Luca without Kyrie or Kyrie without Luca. So that is, I thought there'd be more issues with their defense there, but they have enough offense to where you can steal stretches with Derek Jones Jr. playing the Lakers. You know, they haven't been great, but they've dealt with so many injuries. And like Austin Reeves was so bad to start the year. He's been a lot better since they they came off the uh he's been coming off the bench. So I don't think that they're surprising me too much. And I would probably like I would have the Pelicans and the Suns above both of these teams right now. Um, because I think that they have more weaknesses, whereas the Lakers half court offense can still be iffy when you're looking at late game situations too. They're so reliant on age 39 season LeBron James that it's just, it's uncomfortable. He's incredible, but it's just uncomfortable that that dependence. Um, but I have more, I think because I trust LeBron, I just have inherently more trust in the Lakers being a threat this year than the Mavericks. Um, 
and I think the Lakers might be both of those, both of these are teams where you could say, all right, they might try and make a trade. They can only each trade one first round pick up to one first round pick this year. And they might be emboldened to do it just because the timelines they're operating on. So I, of the, two, I'm definitely more surprised by the Mavs. I also think what they're doing or their place in the West feels way more fragile than Los Angeles is. If we're assuming health for both um, the Kings have not surprised me, I guess uh, they didn't get off to the, to the best start. Um, I'm not a De'Aaron Fox doubter. I've I've actually historically been way too high on him, but he's starting to make me look a little bit smarter these past couple of years. Um, they are they've been grittier on defense, I think, than a lot of the numbers are going to indicate. They are um, oh they're actually they're twelfth in points allowed per possession. Oh, that's over their last seven games. Um, but like they have a defensive switch, and they're a team. They've got trade assets. Like if an OG and an OB becomes available or if a Mikhail Bridges becomes available, or if it's just another, you need defensive help on the wing to plug into those three, four spots to maybe replace some of the Harrison Barnes minutes. They're like, they're closer to the tippy top of the West than not for me. And so they're, they, they just haven't surprised me. If anything, they've, they've underachieved a little bit. And a lot of that I think is just maybe people didn't realize how important De'Aaron Fox was because when he was out for a little bit with that, I think it was the sprained ankle, they did not look great. And then the Thunder, um, they're surprising in the sense that Sam Presti comes into the season preaching, uh, we borrowed wins from the future. This is not the year to go on on a star trade. Like we're fully prepared to experiment and this is still kind of rebuild. That's the messaging coming out. And then they're just hovering around the top of the West. Uh, they have a, a, a top 10 offense and defense at the moment. They're basically top seven offense and defense. Uh, everyone is basically improved with the exception of a couple guys. Case and Wallace have been great. Isaiah Joe has been great. Chet Holmgren is the rookie of the year right now. So, and Shea remains Shea. Shea might be the MVP. I mean, when you look at the early season MVP candidates, there is Shea, there's Jokic, um, there is Luka probably belongs there, and there's Tatum. And then, you know, Steph was at that level, but then he missed time. Did that actually help his case? Because the Warriors still aren't, you know, built to operate too long without him, even though they're losing a lot of the minutes with him now. So there's noisy there, but those feel like the top four right now, maybe Embiid belongs in there, but, but Jokic, Luca, um, Shea, and who did I mention that I already Tatum. forgot? Tatum. Yeah. Those feel like the four guys. Uh, OKC is just like ready. I don't even know if they need to make a trade. We know the whole, the Josh Giddy allegations for the inappropriate relationship with a, um, with an underage girl. That's certainly harrowing. Um, they've no commented that basically he is playing as of now. We'll have to see what that bears. He's not even been that good this season for them. He's perked up a little bit lately. So, um, and that whatever happens with that, that investigation is way more important than, uh, than the honest to God basketball that's happening on the court. But like, even you just look at the makeup on this team, looking at the floor, uh, they, they're doing things. And it's, I think people are going to want them to make a trade this year. If everyone's available, and the thing is, is that as of right now, they're still experimenting with their rotation. If they just wanted to tighten it, they might not need to make a move. It might just be, no, we're going to tighten up, tighten up these, um, these minutes, this rotation a little bit when it matters. So honestly, of the tier that you just laid out, there is a chance. I would still put the Kings as the, the top team of those four. There's a chance it's Oklahoma city. It feels like the Kings might have a slightly higher ceiling at this point of only because you could see the thunder kind of all of a sudden pivoting to, well, no, like we're playing Kaysen Wallace and Usman Jang a bunch of minute, minutes here. And we're going to see Misich get even more time too as the season goes on because that's what they want. Maybe they don't do that. Again, they're so good that at some point you can't justify experimenting unless you're still winning at this clip. Uh, but those are the two teams. I think OKC and Sacramento are, are, to me, clearly the best two teams from this tier. And what's interesting to me is that, that Presti's uh, talk about them borrowing the wins from the from the future is it fair to Shea? i mean Shea is so good like why why wouldn't you want to 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 put uh an you know a amplification on this season and just try to be awesome this year yeah i i mean because right now they're awesome while experimenting and so it's all good vibes it's it comes to let's fast forward a month they're gonna they're gonna hit a rough patch every team it's a rough patch. How do they react to that? And my guess is they'll do nothing. Like maybe they make a trade where they're folding Davis Bertans' salary into a different salary they could move over the summer. It also matters who comes on the trade market. They're going to want someone who's under contract 
fits with the timeline. And that's like a lot of people like, well, Pascal Siakam would be great here. Zach Levine would be great here. And it's like, that doesn't really fit. Well, I, the Siakam idea is semi-interesting, but he's going to be a free agent. And OKC's not, I, don't, I just don't think they're going to mess around with that. Um, and if you're winning at this clip, you almost can't, it's not that you can't justify making a bigger trade, but who are you getting rid of then? Like you can get rid of all the future picks and I guess Davis Bertans' salary. And so if you're just tacking onto this core, but then it gets an issue of, oh, well, where are those minutes? Like, who are we pulling minutes away from? And I think a lot of people, and this is independent of the allegations against him, they're going to say Josh Giddy. They're not wrong because, like, he's just, his fit is weird. And he's, like, he's needed to be on the court with Shea this year. Otherwise, the Thunder have been really bad. Um, and so that's the spot to kind of monitor. But I think, and again, this is all further muddied because of the allegations against him. And I do see people in the chat saying 16 is fine in Oklahoma it doesn't look like this person lived in Oklahoma. They were in California. And so like, that's, and just the fact that he's an MB in the NBA, he's an adult. And like, this is someone who's in high school. Like that's just, it's skeevy. And uh, again, we need to let the, the actual investigation play out because these are not even allegations coming from the person themselves. They're coming from social media sleuths. And so I hate the whole situation. I hate just because they're doxing the girl that's involved. It just makes me wildly sad and uncomfortable, but He's the guy. I, there's no natural segue back to basketball. What a terrible conversation I'm having with myself. Um, like he's the guy to just watch, and I just don't think that's a decision they would make until this off season. I would, and again, if he is suspended or something, um, you know, that opens up a whole other can of worms. But this team is—they said they were going to be patient and were almost prepping fans for a rough season. Now they've come out and they've been patient, and they're just winning. A crap ton. And so I wouldn't expect them to make any real changes. Yeah. And it's not a nice thing to, to ask, but considering all of what you just said and the fact that Giddy and Shea are not really a, a, you know, a perfect fit next to each other as, as your leading guards, do you think maybe it's the time to, to try to, to break them up? To trade Giddy? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I guess Giddy not and not Shea, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's probably too early because, look, the minutes with them on the floor together this season have been really good, but there's a lot of, like, well, the Thunder is still working. Chet has opened up the floor for both of them, but there's a lot of Shea's able to work in tight spaces. And the bigger question to me is actually, can Giddy operate independent of Shea because of the attention Shea draws? And defenses just don't treat him like a threat. It's like even when he's on the court alone – they're going to go so far under him and test the jumper, test the floater. And it's not always like working out for him. And so that's the thing to monitor. And the Thunder have not shown, unless it's changed over the past few games, a ton of confidence in the giddy without Shea minutes. They've been more inclined to go, okay, Jalen Williams, J-Dub, he will play without Shea and giddy more than giddy will play without Shea and, and J-Dub. And that's just, you know, Giddy's going to be in line for a pretty big payday, assuming he finishes the season, yada, yada, yada. So would I consider it? Depending on who becomes available, I would absolutely consider it. But it has to be the right player. And I ultimately don't think that player, because the Thunder, I think, are going to want someone who skews younger. Um, I don't think that player will be available before the summer. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, now I'm going to show you the, the my last tier for today. And again, this is not... This has nothing to do with Dan. This is just the way I'm looking at the West right now. The tier is called not perfect, by, but pretty damn good when they want to be tier. And it's two teams. It's the NBA champions, Denver Nuggets, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, now, we'll talk about the Nuggets more in the final segment. But before that, just tell me something. What do you see about the team that has actually impressed me the most? out West this season. Yeah, they have to be the single biggest surprise. And even as someone who is a Timberwolves optimist, I did not anticipate this. Um, man, things I'm seeing. Anthony Edwards has just made the leap to this two-way star more consistently. Um, Rudy Gobert looks so, so different. There was a play, uh, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to that was outlining it. His defensive player of the year case, though, can be boiled down to a possession. He's covering on the perimeter, somehow has the mobility to get back to contest a closeout or closeout in the corner. He wasn't moving like that last year, and that's been huge for them. Nas Reed might be the sixth man of the year. There's a lot of good candidates this year. I think Lonnie Walker and Karis LaVert are kind of your more 
traditional ones, but you have Nas Reed there. He's been really good. Um, who else has been really good this year off the bench? I mean, it's it's just we're we're so really it doesn't matter. Like Alex Caruso might get some love there, uh, for sure, and would certainly deserve to be. But like, so you have that, the Nas Reed, and then Carlton Towns has been a lot better defensively. He's been inconsistent offensively. I'd still like to see him take more threes. But like when you look at the top eight of this roster, because you can trust Kyle Anderson playing, Nikhil Alexander Walker playing, Nas Reed playing, they might have the best top eight rotation in basketball. You look at the Nuggets at full strength and the Celtics at full strength, and you say, okay, they clearly have the best top six. But like once you start to get beyond that, the Pelicans, if they're fully healthy, we just don't see it enough. Um, OKC, a team we just talked about. When top to bottom, like yes, I think the Pelicans, the Thunder are deeper. Um, other teams are deeper when you're looking at one to fifteen. But if you're looking at just strictly playoff rotations, Minnesota right now might have the deepest. Again, just top one through eight. When you're shortening it to seven or eight guys, they might have the most bankable playoff rotation in the league, which is no one was predicting that coming into the season. And so, just combined with the better play from Rudy having Towns being healthy to at least open up the floor on offense. Anthony Edwards making the leap. Um, Nas Reed making another leap. I think we've seen so much from him defensively. His rim protection has improved and he remains switchable. The, there were times where he was compared to Zeke Naji at one point. And Zeke Naji has never developed into someone who can actually be a, a true blue rim protector. Nas Reed can be that in addition to his mobility on the perimeter. Um, and this team is just, it's a frenetic watch, even when they're not playing super fast and so much about what they've done has impressed me. But I think if we boil it down to the three biggest factors, I honestly think it's depth. So just the one through eight guys, they're all available. Edwards making another leap. And then I think, look, Rudy Gobert has been their second best player. It's, and it's probably not even close. Like, and look, there's a chance that Nas Reed has been their third best player, which is kind of wild to say. And then Mike Conley's just there and solid. It's just incredible. So as long as they're healthy, um, my like I would still be inclined to put the nuggets in a tier of their own right now because we know this team. We know their we know their faults and flaws, but we know what their top end outcome looks. As of right now, though, you are absolutely correct. No other team has justified being in the Nuggets' tier more than the Timberwolves. And what's interesting to me is that the Cat and, and Rudy Gobert actually look pretty good together, unlike last season. Of course, the sample was was not very big last season because of cats injuries but what i what i found interesting is that their defense with only gobert on the court is just amazing it's it's like unpenetrable if that's a word and then they're also pretty good on defense when they only have cat and not gobert they're strangely bad on defense maybe not strangely but they're worse on defense when they have both of those guys but their offense for some reason is off the charts. I mean, comparing to what what uh, other things they have in their you know fold. Yeah, I think without knowing like the actual lineups that have been run, my guess would be like those two are playing so many minutes next to Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards that the offense is guaranteed to be better in that. And then Towns just being a better offensive player. I think when you look at them defensively, though, um, they have the luxury of covering up for Cat better than any Timberwolves team in recent memory. Cause now Rudy Gobert, we've just ad nauseum talked about his mobility this year. Nas Reed has been able to cover up for a lot in the towns and minutes that he and him play together. Um, and then towns has just been better defensively in terms of being in the right spots. I still think he's, he can be just sloth paced and get caught off guard and be at these weird angles when he's in space and teams will still continue to attack him. But because you also, it's not just Nas, like when Jaden McDaniels is healthy and you have Kyle Anderson to pair with him and Anthony Edwards, and then just knowing that you can count on Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been great defensively for them as well. There's so much defensive talent surrounding him that I think they, they've been able to insulate Carl Anthony Towns better than they ever really could have hoped for when they first made the Rudy Gobert acquisition. They always looked like a Nuggets killers. And now when you see that they're actually very good against other teams as well, they might be really scary. This yeah, season. and I, I didn't catch the game that the Nuggets and Timberwolves played earlier this year, but people were telling me that the the stuff that works, and it makes some sense, but it's you have Rudy Gobert playing down low, and Carl Anthony Towns is going to be the guy that's like guarding Jokic. And it's it just works. I don't know if it's a size and strength thing, or if it's just the idea of like Rudy Gobert not having to be tethered and taken away from the basket, because that's what Jokic could do. 
Um, I'm interested to see if it would hold up over the course of a series. If these two, like one game in the regular season, sure. But like, I'd be, I think that the Nuggets could do some interesting tactical things to make those moves difficult on Minnesota. And my gut still says that if these two teams got in a series, Cat would be exposed by the end of it. And again, that's pride on Denver being healthy, but the off ball movement that Denver can generate specifically inside the arc, um, that can hurt cat. And I know Rudy Gobert being off Jokic kind of can derail some of that movement. But I think, I, I do think over the course of a series that it would be, it's kind of quaint to see over the a game or two, but over the course of a playoff series, I think Denver would really bust through that model and force Minnesota into some compromising decisions. I actually agree. And I think it's, it's a big luxury to have Nas Reed in that kind of situation. And you also have Jaden McDaniels and, uh, and uh, Na as the guys to, to guard Jamal Murray. So I think that would be an extremely interesting matchup for sure. Okay. Let's take one last short break and then we'll move on to the NBA champions, Denver Nuggets. Okay, we are back. So the Nuggets lost Jamal Murray to hamstring injury, and at first it looked like they would be fine with Reggie Jackson feeling in the starting lineup really well. But then that opened some problems with the back end of the rotation, so their record without Jamal is now 4-5. and five. They actually won that game uh, when Jamal mid-game got, got injured. So I'm I already said it. I'm envious of some other teams and the guys they have on the bench uh, against the Nuggets. What's your overarching take on the Nuggets season so far? And am I right to still have them in this top tier of of the conference, even with those uh, losses that have been piling up? Lately? Yeah. Look, I'm not going to panic about this team. I just they are they are a machine. The and look. The overarching issues, as you call them, they're exactly not just what we expected, but they're exactly what they're supposed to be. They made this conscious decision to say, like, we have our top six guys and like the bench is still going to be a bunch of question marks because one, they didn't have the resources to really do anything else financially. And then two, they tried to take some swings, developmental swings. And so there are going to be growing pains there. There is value in getting this information and these reps in the regular season to maybe identify because you have your six and you've decided, look, if it's, it's different, if like, I'm honestly, if, and I don't mean to, you know how I feel about Michael Porter Jr. But if like Michael Porter Jr. is missing time or if Christian Brown is missing time, you can overcome that. If Jokic, if Murray, if Gordon, even KCP, when you look at his defensive assignments, like you've kind of just decided that if one of those four players aren't healthy, you're not winning the championship. And so that's the decision that you have made, let's say. And I think that's a semi-comfortable decision to make. Um, I think what makes this really uneasy is, okay, well, can we even get to like a six or seven-man playoff rotation that we feel super confident in? The front court rotation after Jokic and Gordon and Porter Jr. is just all over the place right now. I've been a little bit concerned with how Christian Brown has played. He needs, like he needs Nikola Jokic to get anything going inside the arc for him. And so it's fair to be concerned about that, but this is all happening in the backdrop of they don't have Jamal Murray. And Matt Moore was talking about this recently on the Lockdown Nuggets podcast. Like Reggie Jackson's been good for a lot of the year, but now all of a sudden he's going up against not just lead guards, but lead guards who are then defending him because they're not going to defend. This is what Matt Moore pointed out. Anyone else, because Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic are too, too effing big. And you're not going to throw them on KCP because that feels like a little bit of a waste, just he's not doing as much on the ball. So I do think they need at least another veteran in this rotation because it's Christian Brown has earned the benefit of the doubt. But if you're waiting for a Julian Strother or, you know, the Zeke Naji ship seems like it's sailed every year is the Zeke Naji year. And then every year it's not the Zeke Naji year. Um, but if you're counting on Peyton Watson, like those are where you're getting into risky areas of, well, are these guys going to be good enough when it matters most? And that's the question they have. I don't know what they're going to be able to do at the trade deadline in part because yeah, they have some, I think there'd be a lot of teams that'd be like, Oh, if you're willing to trade Peyton Watson, we will, we will definitely take a look at him, but they need to get to, to matching salary to do anything of consequence. And it's like, okay, Jokic, Murray, 
Porter, Gordon, KCP are your five highest paid players. Your sixth highest paid player is Reggie Jackson making five million. And it's just like when in terms of salary matching, like it gets really difficult to figure out moves that they can make. I know a lot of fans have been enamored with Alex Caruso, but like one, you could get to the money for him. You could step out of your way there. The Bulls aren't taking your best offer because you can't trade them. Like they're going to get a first for Alex Caruso. And so you're looking at someone who's maybe you could get a Javon Carter from Chicago if they decide, or an Io DeSunmu, just someone who could come in and play sort of a similar defensive role. And Javon Carter will he'll hit threes, man. I would love him in Denver, actually, to be honest with you. So does that type of move stabilize them at all? But the reason I can't be concerned is because they knew the risks and what was going to happen coming in. Look, we can get bent out of shape about it'd be nice if Michael Porter Jr. would just fire up more streamlined jump shots at times, or it'd be nice if Aaron Gordon could find the basket at all right now. They're, those things are going to be fine. It's if you believe that Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic are going to be healthy, and I would say I think Aaron Gordon's probably their third most important player when you look at the playoffs specifically. So if you believe those three guys are going to be healthy, you will have a chance, and it's can we – carve out another spot or two in the rotation that isn't so unpredictable. I think for them to get to a point where they have seven guys who they can trust in the playoffs, they're going to need to get lucky on the trade and or buyout market though. And that's just where I'm at with this team. I think what we saw at the beginning of the season when they were healthy, their defensive ceiling might be even higher than last year. And a large part of that is one KCP has been incredible this year. Nicole Jokic, uh, when they were at full strength, he was doing some pretty incredible things defensively. And then, you know I've hammered this home. The Michael Porter Jr. defensive experience, it can still be touch and go, but the highs are so incredibly high, and they are more sustainable than they've been. Um, I can't bring myself to panic. Uh, we can nitpick. We can be concerned. There's just no, for me, there's no reason to panic. Yeah, I, I think the biggest reason why Michael Porter is so important to this team, uh, you know, next to his length, which which helps the whole team grow, uh, uh, crazy, crazy uh, long is the fact that he is such a perfect fairing next to Aaron Gordon because Aaron Gordon is is just the most important guy on that defense, and he is you know he's not a confident shooter. Mm. He can he can hit some shots, but then he can go <laughs> zero for twelve. He will miss some like, shots. Like he, he will miss yeah. some shots as well. So you really need. Michael Porter to stretch that court out so so that uh, Aaron Gordon would have the space to operate in the dunker spot and stuff like that. And KCP is a is a uh, as close to a knockdown shooter and a good defender as you'll you'll find in the league. Jamal Murray is there. One thing that concerns me a bit is the fact that we are talking about some veteran help that might come or maybe not even veteran help, but just some other guys to be able to join the, the, the bench of the Denver Nuggets. And the thing is, in the last six, seven years, we've seen a plethora of players that were trying to play good minutes without Nikola Jokic on the court. <laughs> and none of them made it. None of them. So it's <laughs> it might not be just the players that have been involved. It might be uh, something that has to do a bit with the coaching as well, because we know Nikola Jokic minutes are always, always overwhelmingly good. But you need that balance with his off off minutes. He played for effing forty two minutes last night in Houston, and they still lost the game. And it's like I know he's an Iron Man, but you don't want to overwork him too much in the regular season either. At this point, it's just like it'd be nice if he could get the break rather than. Jamal Murray, but they just can't look even with Jamal Murray. They they're just not built to operate without Jokic still. And there are, I know people talk a lot about like, can't they run some different substitution patterns? And it's sure. But when you start to go through like the data of how just even the players you might want to see without Jokic more and it's okay. Like, you know, they're, they're just so not efficient with, with that, with Jokic, like off the court where it's Reggie Jackson, even when and he was playing a bunch with Jokic off the court, an effective field goal percentage of 48 when Jokic isn't on the floor this year. Aaron Gordon's effective field goal percentage without Jokic, 37. That is incredibly low. Jamal Murray's effective field goal percentage without Jokic this year, 37 and a half. Uh, like, I think the one thing you could try, and I just don't know, like Michael Porter Jr. might be built to play some more solo minutes. He's just not, as a scorer, sure, as a facilitator, it's, 
okay, no, but he has a 59 effective field goal percentage without Jokic on the court, which is which is really good. And so could you just try and build more punchier units where, okay, Jokic is off the court and you're going to like have Michael Porter Jr. scoring to lean on? You just, you need guys who can provide not even net positive minutes for your team, but net positive play as an individual without Jokic. And there are so few guys on this team who can do that, even within the starting lineup. I would argue that there are two guys on this team that could feasibly be as individuals. I don't even know what it would look like for the larger impact on the team. And actually we do like we've seen the Murray without Jokic minutes and they're not spectacular, but he's one of the guys and then it's MPJ. And so it's like to not have, you know, to not have another option with that. And I think the biggest need you could, you could say is they need someone to be like the idea of Christian Brown and Bruce Brown together is what they need. And you're just not going to find that with the tools that they have. And even look, even if Peyton Watson pops all of a sudden and stays that way, what is that actually doing for you? And then he's not a creator. And so it's like, do we need Jalen Pickett? Like, is that the one you're, you're looking at? Because his minutes are, you know, they're going to dissipate when you have Jamal Murray and Reggie Jackson. Um, So like, it feels like, they're not one player short of winning a title, but it feels like they're one player short of like, we can breathe during the non Jokic minutes at least. And I know at the beginning of the season, it was like, Oh, the non Jokic minutes look better. That kind of faded quickly. Even before the Jamal Murray minutes, they were outscored by 15 total points without Jokic on the court. That's a doable margin. Now that thing is ballooned over their most recent stretch to like, I don't even know. I think they've been outscored by like 70 points without Jokic on the court during this like recent road you know, disaster, whatever you, you want to call it. So um, like, it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's unsolvable, but with the resources they have at their disposal, it's kind of this active decision that they've made. And they've been outscored by 29 points without Jokic on the court in 104 minutes. So that's not, that's not great. And the, and during this, this seven game stretch too, the starting lineup has been outscored by 30 points. So like the starting lineup with Reggie Jackson. So if you're not going to decidedly win. Yeah. You'll win the minutes with Jokic overall, but if you can't win, the minutes in the lineup that he is going to spend the most time in you're, I don't know if you cuss on this podcast or you're screwed. So I won't drop the F bomb. It's just like, again, this is a problem that you understand it because of how they allocated resources to their top guys. They just won a title by doing that. So it's hard to refute, but there is, there's a trade-off there and we're witnessing it. And it's, it's part of the reason I'm concerned, but I also can't get up in arms about it because it was an active decision. And for some reason that makes me feel a little better about it, even though that might be illogical. Yeah. I think that most of the, the well-informed Nuggets fans will tell you that they're prepared for some frustrating regular season, but we know what is the, the prize in sight and they probably need eight guys for the playoffs you can survive with seven. seven. Yeah, they did seven last year, I would say, right? Unless you count, you know, Jeff Green, well, the data well, was terrible. Well, but Christian, Christian Brown was the eighth guy, actually, last year. And he played some really, really good minutes in the finals. But what I want to say is you can do with seven, but one of the guys of the bench like, has to be a big. You cannot <laughs> play just guards of the bench. Point. And if Zeke Naji is your best big, that doesn't sound promising. So this is the the thing I'm looking most most towards uh, in, in the next months uh, for the Nuggets basketball, and I think that that uh, extension he got is quite strange right now because you know that, he's not that easy to to trade because of it. I think well, yeah, but it's he's actually it's not too hard because it's so cheap. So like the poison pill provision doesn't mean as much. It's felt more like a future move where it's oh we want this whatever he's locked into next year is going to be 8.8 million. Like that's a nice salary matching tool on a very low stakes contract. That's declining on a player who's still, he's not even 23 as we're recording this. So that's what the logic there felt like. I actually had a question for you though, because you mentioned one of the players on the bench has to be a big. Now I just mentioned how important it is for Aaron Gordon offensively to play with Nikola Jokic. What do you sort of make of the idea? And they've killed during these minutes, it hasn't been a ton. Like Aaron Gordon at center, it kind of works. Like, would you like in the playoffs specifically? I think you have to be open to it now. But is that something you could see them trying out a little bit more frequently, or they don't want to put that wear and tear on AG because of how important he is 
defensively to the Jokic lineups. Oh, they they have been trying it already several times, and They're they killing haven't people when they, they do it too. Yeah, they, they haven't tried it last season almost at all during the regular season. Then then they were killing people in the playoffs with that. But the thing here is that Michael Mullen was actually panicking a bit, and this is why he he's okay. No more Zeke Naji tonight. We'll just play Aaron at the five, and and we'll hopefully survive that. We still had, you know. Uh, Jeff Green, who is a beefy guy. I mean, he was a pretty much net negative most of the playoffs even, and mm-hmm. not to mention the regular season. But Michael Malone still felt that he needed some more some more beef in the in the in the paint uh when when Jokic would go out of the you know, you know and Jeff Green had like he Jeff Green is like the king of having moments that make you think he's still really good, and then you go back and you watch other moments or you'll see the yep. data, and it's like, oh, like no. Uh <laughs> and What's also tough is because Nikola Jokic is your best player and he's going to play, you know, I don't want him playing 42 minutes in November. I will take him playing 42 minutes in May. What are you supposed to allocate to someone who, when it matters most in theory, is going to play six or eight minutes a game? And that's where it gets challenging. And so it's, you know, uh, maybe they could have done a better job, like signing a minimum, like I'll go this route. Bismarck Biombo would have done infinitely more for this team on the court than DeAndre Jordan is ever going to do for them. And so you could have saying, but you talk to all these people around the NBA. And I think the emotional component of having DJ there, like that's going to matter to them. So can you like, can you find a really cheap big um, on the trade market? Because when they're making minimums or close to it, now that becomes more workable. And that in theory is something you could address because, Hey, that shouldn't cost too much. And we don't need this guy to be a star. We need him to play eight to 10 minutes a game during the playoffs at most. And so it's, I know some people floated Andre Drummond. I have no desire to see Andre Drummond on this team. I'm not going to lie. I don't think, I just don't love, I I, I don't think it's going to be good. I don't think it would be good, but like, um, see someone in the chat, get boogie back. Um, I don't really know if, and I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good without that. But like, a this, this isn't the, because the way they run their offense, but like a Jericho Sims from New York, like who's not getting minutes. I mean, you know, you're not going to trade for Hartenstein. Like they're using him too much uh like could they like could they be a team I'm, I'm, i didn't think of trade targets where i got here but like you can get a super cheap big for the most part um and that's at least okay that so feels feasibly addressable but where like a lot of those if you want like a better creator off the bench or a better wing off the bench those those players traditionally cost a lot more and so that's just where you get into some like really interesting and and tough discussions, but I, if I'm them, I, I would be with you if you're to minimize how long you need to play Aaron Gordon at center. I mean, look, you might not need another big man in the playoffs because Aaron Gordon at center for six to eight minutes a game could make a lot of sense and like you know minimal issues. But otherwise, you know maybe they get like I said the buyout market or can you trade for just someone who is who is so cheap right now that it doesn't it costs seconds or something and then just like you have to send out the requisite salary match just to get a body in there and that's it again that's at least something that they they might be able to to address okay then thank you so much for letting me uh, force you to play to speak about the nuggets longer than you usually does do you want to promote something before we go out uh just check out the hardwood ox podcast i'm sure it's all nuggets fans that are here but we cover the nba at large and we do look we have a lot of fun and we do a really good job with it so hardwood Knox, youtube spotify apple wherever you get your podcast just search the name Hardwood Knox spelled exactly as it sounds. Thank you very much. And uh, before we meet uh, again next week, my dear listener, Idemo Nagetsi.